Drive Time on RT Radio 1, sponsored by Zurich. Protect your family's future with life cover from Zurich. Talk to a financial broker to find out more. Drive Time on RT Radio 1 with Sarah McInerney and Cormac O'Hara. We're gateful to glory. Now, Pope Francis marked 10 years as head of the Catholic Church today by celebrating Mass with cardinals in the chapel of the Vatican Santa Maria, uh, Marta building, where he's lived since his election in 2013. The Argentina-born Francis became the first Latin American pontiff succeeding Benedict XVI, who became the first Pope in six centuries to resign, you'll remember. Father Michael Collins is a priest and author of two books on Pope Francis, and he joins me now to assess the pontificate uh, up to this point. Father Michael, you're very welcome to the programme. Good evening, Cormac. It was 10 years ago today, uh, wasn't it? Then Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio, uh, he became Pope uh, Francis, isn't that right? Or Pope uh, Benedict. Uh, uh, You tell me, you correct me on on the (laughs) the detail here. You've actually jogged my memory because I've just looked at my watch and I realised that it was this hour, 10 years ago, I was standing in St. Peter's Square in the spills of rain and there were umbrellas. It was a sea of coloured, multicoloured umbrellas. And I was watching the white smoke swirling and billowing from the chimney of the Sistan Chapel where the votes had just been burned following the successful election. Uh, You're quite right, Jorge Bergoglio had obtained two-thirds majority of the cardinals' votes. There was 120 cardinals voting in the Sistan Chapel. And it was the day after the beginning of the election. And uh, so it was a very quick result. And um, when it and came out... It was out a strange balcony, start, Michael, wasn't it? Because it's usually very, the case that, that a pope passes away and then the, the uh, there's yes. another one elected. But Pope Benedict yeah. had resigned. Well, it it was, and funny enough, um, when Pope Francis was on his way to the balcony to greet the crowds, he asked if anybody had a phone, and he was directed to a little phone in the wall in in the church in St. Peter's, and they tried to contact Pope Benedict, who was in Castle Gandolfo, but he was watching the television, so nobody answered the phone. So Pope Francis was trying to give him his first phone call, and it didn't work out that way. Okay. But I do remember it was lovely, you know, he came down, he came out onto the balcony and he started off with his famous Buonasera, good evening. I think just everybody laughed. That's my strongest memory. Everybody just burst out laughing because we were expecting, you know, a very sombre beginning and, you know, protocol, etc. But it was, it was a lovely start. Yeah, and it was more informal than what we were used to with uh, Benedict XVI. And and in a way, that's what people expected, uh, Father, wasn't it? Benedict XVI was, was seen as a, a tough conservative in the Catholic Church, whereas Pope Francis was seen as a, a somewhat of a liberal, liberaliser. I, I just wonder if that has transpired. Uh, well, you see, I think in a sense there's a rebalancing and a lot of people are realising that Benedict, he was actually a very gentle person. I'll, I'll put my cards on the table and say that I was an admirer of his, um, despite all his faults and failings. And Francis came along, people saying, oh, he's very liberal. But in actual fact, he's not that liberal. You've also got to understand two things. One is he was elected at uh, 76, so he's already an elderly man. But um, he was coming in with a a lot of expectation and people were expecting change. But, you know, for an institution which is 2,000 years old, you're not going to get that very quickly. But he did establish his mark uh, rapidly when a few months, I think about three months after he'd been elected, he went to the island of Lampedusa just off the 
Tunisian coast. And he met all the, what we call the boat people, um, migrants who are trying to get into Europe. And he established himself as somebody very sympathetic to migration, the problem and phenomenon of modern migration, of human trafficking and of climate change. And he put the whole three of them together. And he said, you know, one feeds off the other. So he kind of, I suppose he tipped the balance of the church away from much of its occupation towards care for the uh, the underdog, if yeah. you like. And, and so back I think to, everybody back to the community. To and, and I think the, the church here in Ireland is taking his lead on that or trying to, certainly. You, you talked about rebalancing. Yeah. Did he do enough uh, post Pope Benedict, for example, to rebalance the Vatican's efforts in favour of survivors of clerical sexual abuse who were trying to find justice and truth? No, no, he didn't. No, and nothing nothing is, in a sense, enough. That might sound like a cliché, but he admitted two years ago that they already had 2,000 backlog cases. And I remember our own Mary Collins uh, from Dublin was appointed and accepted a position on a commission to examine child abuse at the very beginning of the pontificate. And within two years, if I'm not mistaken, she resigned and she just said, we're going nowhere. Mm -hmm. But he kept pushing ahead with that. But that's such a ginormous, intractable problem. But isn't that a great stain on his papacy? Um. No, in the sense, I think I always admire somebody who makes an effort to do something. He's at least doing, he's addressing it, he set up the commission, he's got a lot of people working on it. It's just, I think it's, the problem is so global, such an enormous problem. But his resources are so large and what these people are seeking are access to records and information and the truth. And one wonders why... It couldn't be done far quicker than is being doing, uh, done, notwithstanding the volume of cases. No, 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 you're right. I mean, you're right in saying that. But I mean, my what I'm trying to say is that the numbers of people, uh, the number of cases are so ginormous that no, no machine is going to be able to do it. No computer is going to be able to resolve the problem. So it's going to take a long, long, long time to, to get I, to I the bottom. I don't know if enough lot of people will accept that as an excuse, given the uh, resources. No, no, I, no hold on. No, I'm not, no, no, I'm not making an excuse at all. What I'm saying is it is such a ginormous problem. And the stain and the shame is that this was allowed fester in the first place. That's mm. what I'm trying to say. I understand. What about his treatment of, of women in the Catholic Church? It's been called an empire of misogyny by Mary McAleese, for example. Has he done enough yes. in that regard? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so, remotely. I think, you know, he talks about uh, the position of women within the Church and their responsibilities and their contributions, etc. But there's ginormous opportunities to do more. I mean, for example, he appointed a religious sister as the the, uh, the person who runs Vatican City State. Well, that's kind of an important thing, but there's only a handful of women involved up at that level. But down on the ground level, I would say it's a very different story because in the parishes, it's men and women equally who are, indeed, it knows more women who are actually running things and uh, effectively making things tick if you like mm-hmm. and why hasn't he acted uh, more to to rebalance there again again i think you're talking two things one is that he's now an elderly man he's 86 he's had a lot of things on his plate and that uh, is one of the difficulties that he's got to to face all the time he started off the year after he was elected he introduced a new concept in a sense it was kind of an ancient concept in the church called synodality which went 
uh, talking to everybody, uh, modern parlance is all the shareholders, and talk to them about how they see the church. So he didn't want to come in with a solution that he's imposing from the top downwards. He said, let's talk to everybody across the church. And this is actually the first time in the history of this 2,000-year institution. Mm-hmm. That I, people I, I are do understand, but it seems to be painstakingly uh, slow. There were also, Very can I ask slow. you, Michael, about... Um, uh, his treatment of the LGBTQ plus community, because there were great hopes, I know, of of uh, LGBTQ people who were Catholic. Uh, and when he yes. said at the time, yeah. mm-hmm. early in his papacy, who am I to judge them? But then That's recently right. th- there was an art interview with the Associated Press and he, he said that laws criminalising homosexuality were unjust and that being homosexual mm-hmm. is not a crime. Now, yeah, I just wonder again why more hasn't been done to liberalise teaching in that regard. Well, again, it's not a question of liberalising, but I think you're quite right to say that when he made that uh, comment on his return journey from the Congo Republic, he was changing again uh, people's perception about gay people and having greater respect. And you know, to to come out and say that the, that these laws are unjust, especially in parts of Africa where. Uh, homosexuality is outlawed and is punishable by the severest penalties. You know, for somebody like that to to say that, if you like, in African airspace is very, very strong. So I think, you know, we've got to understand the situation as I it do is. Understand, yeah. But, but that, some yeah. people would say, if you're LGBTQ plus and Catholic, why would you be treated any less by the Catholic Church? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. All of that area is completely wrong. And I a hundred percent agree with you. It's it's disrespectful. But we've got 2000 years of, of bigotry behind us. And that's not going to be wiped away in 10 years. So how, lot, how, would you, how would you assess his papacy up until now then? Because when I've discussed with you um, crimes of clerical sex abuse and... Mm-hmm the treatment of women and the treatment of the LBGTQ plus yes. community. Yes. You've, yeah. discussed, you've said to me, his, you've mentioned his age or mm-hmm. how numerous the crimes were or bigotry. Yeah. And if we were talking about any other institution, I, I think people would resile from it. And I suppose people are in Ireland. Um, yes, indeed. Yeah. How Absolutely. would you assess his papacy then? Well, you know, um, it's a very difficult question, but I suppose I'd say it's it's uh, parts successful and parts unsuccessful. So when you look at somebody like this who's at an age who's trying to move a billion people, you know, the Catholics in the world are about a billion, whether they're uh, active in their church commitment or their spirituality is a separate issue. So I would say um, I'm not here to judge either in the same sense that he wasn't able to give a a mark, but I'd say, would it be fair to go fifty-fifty? Uh, I don't know. It's not for for me to judge. I just wonder. No, can I, no, I can no. ask you one final question? As head of the Catholic yeah. Church, I wonder if he had acted more promptly on in those areas where where we discussed like women and LGBT and and clerical mm-hmm. sex abuse and so on. If more work had been done more efficiently by the Vatican under his uh, papacy. Would the church have more uh, credibility and moral authority to speak about climate and and migration and other issues that they're taking up in the community right now? Well, I think you've got to allow for the fact that he's done an enormous amount to 
focus world attention on migration and on human trafficking and climate change. And as I mentioned at the beginning, when he went to Lampedusa, he shone the world's media on this horrific situation. And I remember during his homily, he said, don't turn the Mediterranean Sea into a cemetery. And here we are with Macron and Sunak, Richard Sunak, a few days ago, still talking about this horrific crime which has taken part in the heartland mm-hmm. of Europe. So we've got to allow this. This is a human problem, and not all of these can be just uh, lumped in as religious problems for Catholics. These are human problems which everybody has to deal with and grapple yeah, with. Uh, and which he is using his influence to, as you say, shine a, a light on. Uh, look, I, I think he's doing his best, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I have to say, given 86, uh, I would imagine that he'll be stepping down in the next short while because you know he's not well he's spoken often about resigning mm-hmm. and it's time maybe for somebody else to and, lead and the then church Michael, onwards and forwards. and then we'll be talking again about uh, who will succeed him and so on uh, look Father <laughs> Michael Collins uh, thank you very much indeed for talking to us 